You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. Hello, hello, everyone. How's everyone doing? Hopefully well. How are you, Erin? I'm good. I'm enjoying fall. It's been really nice weather, and we actually had some rainy days recently, which I was a fan of after we've had quite a bit of dry, sunny wonderfulness. Yeah. The novelty is I haven't had to cut my lawn in like a month. Right? But it is. it has been very dry. Mm-hmm. It was good to get some rain. Mm-hmm. I mean, those old people, well, we sure did need that rain. Right, sit on my porch with a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, I think it's been hard on allergies, too. So I think I'm probably not the only one who is like, finally, something to dampen all this. <laughs> oh, my God. My migraines have been horrible this yep, fall yep. because of the allergies and stuff. But that's all right. Mm-hmm. It's worth it to get the cooler weather. I enjoy it. Me, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's okay. So this week, continuing with a spooky theme, we're going to talk about Stephen King, particularly King on screen. This was done in 2022 or 2023. IMDb says 2022. Amazon said 2023. So in the last year or two, it's one hour and 45 minutes long. I rented it on Prime. It was directed by Daphne Bauer. Great. <laughs> there are a lot of vowels in that name. I'm I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but we'll go with that. So much. Okay. So the way this starts and ends, I thought was very cleverly done. It's like a movie sequence. And I kept, I was like, is, am I in the right thing? Like I got out and checked and I'm yes. like, this is the correct documentary because <laughs> There's like a lady traveling through Maine, shocker of all shocks, Mm -hmm. right? And there's like this cute little film sequence and there are a shit ton of references to different things. So Mm -hmm. Daphne, you know, she just nailed it as far as I was concerned. So some of the references that I got were Cujo, Creepshow, Mm -hmm. It, The Shining, In the Tall Grass. Um, Those were the ones that I specifically noted. I saw also Silver Bullet, Needful Things. Those are the only other two that really come to mind, but I know there were others. Mm-hmm. But yeah, quite a few in a very short sequence. And you're right. I was also like, is it, is it the documentary? Did I choose the, <laughs> did I just pay for the wrong movie? Oh. Which would have been fine. But yeah, it was well done. It was really cute. So I think that... Many may find the movies first, right? For Stephen King, and then perhaps come to the books. Kind of depending on where you are in, you know, chronology, I suppose. I mean, there was a time that there were no movies, but I feel like we're probably, like, moving away from that. So, um, but Stephen King has been writing books since the 70s, or at least publishing books since the 70s. And having the film adaptations come out to the public, you know, late seventies. Right. So all my whole life, I guess. Yeah. One, one of the people that they talked to in this did make that comment. We are the first generation to have grown up with Stephen King. And, and that's true. He wasn't doing a whole lot before we were born, at least not in the public. And, he has a legacy that will last for a very, very long time. I looked up some of his, you know, writing credits in IMDb just to kind of see, because you forget one of the other references at the beginning of the movie that I just remembered was the running man. And I forgot that he did the running man. Great movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, by the way. So So many. I know, (laughs) but he has, he has over 300 writing credits. Now, some of those are duplicates. Like they've remade some of them more than once. But still, for one person to have over 300 writing credits, like 56 different things currently in development or production. That's obscene. 
I mean, that's just a crazy amount of stuff. Right. And this is not uh, formulaic writing. So I'm a fan of some uh, smutty romance novels. And a lot of times if you're reading a series of those, they get a little formulaic, right? However, that's not the way King writes. I mean, you can point to themes in his writing, but it's not Mm -hmm. the same story over and over again, right? Um, There are twists, there are turns, there's shit you didn't see coming. Uh, We just talked Mm -hmm. about The Running Man, which is not necessarily traditional King material. As I Mm -hmm. recall, like there were several times stuff popped up here and I was like, oh my God, I forgot he did that. So, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I so admire that level of creativity. Yeah. I think a lot of people associate Stephen King with horror. Mm -hmm. And as they discussed, this kind of all started with Carrie, which was done in the late seventies. It had um, Sissy Spacek in it. And prior to that movie coming out, a lot of people hadn't really heard of him. So his writing wasn't really out and well known yet. So once people started seeing some of the movies, I think a lot of people then turned to the books and became a fan of the books. And like you said, now I think there are a lot of people who are aware of, of him as a writer and might pick that up first. Mm-hmm. But I remember Carrie now, obviously didn't see it when it first came out because I was <laughs> tiny, right? I was born, mm-hmm. but I was not of an age to see it. But even seeing it now, like, and they remade it, but the original is so well done. It's so well done. A lot of themes in it, I think, that res- like kind of resound with people, right? So uh, crap family life. There's a little bit of that in there. Bullying and just treating other people horribly ends up having, you know, big consequences for people. And mm-hmm. I love that message. <laughs> but they're so extreme it's it's so amazing and i agree with you uh the intensity of sissy spacek in that movie i still remember like you're like oh my god it's so crazy yeah well and the her mother so they're extreme religious Mm -hmm. fanatics or at least the mother is Mm -hmm. which causes sissy to have you know she's somewhat separated from her peers she doesn't know all the things that they know, which obviously leads to problems later on. But it's just, it's interesting how they portray how this affects her life, mm-hmm. right? Being that extreme and anything is going to affect your life. And they did a really good job of, of showing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. I think that after Carrie, we can start to talk a little bit about, I'm going to say it, let's go with it next. Another okay. big one. Yes, that one was a miniseries, right? That mm-hmm. was put on TV as a two-episode miniseries, I believe. Late 80s, is that right? Early 90s? Late 80s? Yeah, I think we're hitting just around that time frame. Like, there were several, I think, that came out um, when I had awareness to it, you know, like, in this time frame, right? So... Mm-hmm. I love the fact that Tim Curry plays Pennywise. Uh, That's not my favorite Tim Curry role by any means, because I liked him as the darkness in um, Legend, the bestest. Legend, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But um, it's so interesting. And I think we've talked about this even in Killer Legends, that this movie kind of affected how people felt about clowns because he did such a great job making it fucking terrifying. Right, but someone pointed out in this that he played it as a clown, not as a monster. Not to say that the clown doesn't become a monster in the Mm -hmm. movie, but he really was like a birthday clown when he would approach these kids initially. Mm -hmm. Like, goofy and silly and had balloons and everything. And so to see him transform into the the scary clown, that's what made it so terrifying. Because you see regular clowns and you're like, oh, I don't trust that at all. Right. Not even a little bit. Not an easily identifiable monster. Yeah. 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 And this is one I think a lot of us saw fairly young. I want to say 11, 12-ish, maybe. Well, I think it came out after that. But early teens is when that 
came out. And so you're watching this horror pretty young. A hundred percent. I mean, these are the ones I think that formed the love of the genre for a lot of people that are our age, right? Because this is the shit you snuck and watched behind your parents' back. <laughs> like They were like, please don't right. watch this shit. You're going to have nightmares. And you're like, sounds great. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And then if you were a kid like me, mm-hmm. I did have nightmares. <laughs> yeah, <And> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But I also read a lot of horror, yep. like adult horror. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking goosebumps. Like I read adult horror books when I was in middle school and that was really a theme that I loved. I like how one of the directors, so they talked to a lot of the different directors and some other people who've worked on the movies, but a lot of directors who have worked with Stephen King in this. And one of them was like, he was, he really liked horror. So he kind of decided to step away from the movies because they were scaring him. Mm -hmm. He was like, I'll just pick up the book instead. I'll pick up the book. (laughs) So he picks up the book for it. And he's like, that was the worst mistake ever because it was so (laughs) horrifying. And he's like, he's so invested in these characters and he wants them to do well, but he's also terrified at the same time. And, you know, I like how he also said it gives you a chance to be brave in small little bits, Mm -hmm. right? You can be brave one chapter at a time. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Horror does kind of give you that, that ability to be a little bit brave in a safe environment. You are safe and you know it, but it's still scary. And like experiencing this as a kid, as a tween, as a teen, and witnessing some kids of your own age-ish being the heroes, right? Terrorized. Yeah. Yeah. But like, he wrote it so well that I think it really, again, stuck with people. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, a, there's definitely a time that kids didn't really get any credit, you know, in yeah. general you know, media or whatever. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think Stephen King bought into that. He was like, you know, you can show up in that way at any age, really. So mm-hmm. lots of good stuff there. Well, one of the things that you talk about is Stephen King is a character driven writer. He develops his character so well mm-hmm. that you feel very connected to them. Now, I will say, because of that, I am not a big fan of his books, which is a failing on my part, not on his, Mm -hmm. but I am a plot-driven person. And so if there's too much development that has nothing to do with the plot, I get frustrated. So again, that's, that's on me, not on him, but his short stories, I love But I think that's why a lot of times I really like his movies versus his books because his books, I I have a hard time finishing because I'm halfway through a book and I feel like we haven't started talking about what's going on in the book yet and I get frustrated. So, yeah. I am in the same boat. I tried to read Tommyknockers more than once and I just can't get through it. Again, I realize, much like you, that that's a... I mean, books are about taste, right? I mean, like... I can appreciate that the writing is amazing without actually having to like, you know, be a a big fan of that part myself. I was a Dean Koontz girl. I read all of that as a kid. So you're talking about reading adult horror. I was that way also. I love the supernatural elements of both of these, but Mm -hmm. Dean Koontz was much easier for me to read. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was, it was more palatable, Mm -hmm. right? I do know, like, my husband and mother-in-law, they love Stephen King. They Mm -hmm. love that he develops everything so well that you can see it. And so I just think it's two different kinds. Just like George R.R. Martin is the same way. He writes for characters. Everyone hated the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones, and I actually really liked them. (laughs) I'm like, oh, finally, (laughs) moving along. So, Mm -hmm. but those characters can also be seen in the movies, right? So he's developed these characters in books. And that translates well to movies, and that's why people care. Mm -hmm. I think he does a really good job of making you care about the people. Yeah. Which not all writers can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So some other ones that they specifically call out in this documentary, Stand By Me. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily horror, again, but Jesus, the quintessential coming of age 
I mean, for dudes. <laughs> I, don't know. I love that movie though. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. I had the biggest crush on Will Will Wheaton. Mm-hmm. Not even um, River Phoenix, that you would think, because he was beautiful, but the geeky, skinny little Will Wheaton. I loved him. Yeah. When I was younger, <laughs> like Lord of the Flies and everything. Yeah. 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 It's such a good movie, and it's one that, again, I sometimes forget that he did because I always want to equate him with horror. Yes. But some of his best movies, Stand By Me, mm-hmm. The Green Mile, Shawshank, those are not horror. Right. I mean, I think they have elements of horror, right? Like injustice or, again, the way you treat people not <laughs> favorable, Right. Right. Some of the worst of, you know, human behavior against other people, but it's not like supernatural horror or a monster or whatever. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just, um, it really speaks to you. I mean, they talk in this documentary over and over and over about Shawshank Redemption and how it's influenced everything. And like, if you're of, I don't know, like our Gen Z friends, right. May not have all the references, but they showed different references from the Simpsons. They showed references from like family guy. There were so many different Mm -hmm. small little tidbits um, because that movie affected people in such a way. Can I tell you, I've never seen Shawshank Redemption. I know. I feel horrible. I think the reason why I've never seen it is I know it's going to make me cry and I have to be in the mood for that kind of emotional experience and I don't always think about it when I am in the mood for that. So it's a failing on my part. I realize that. Well, it's set in prison, right? And that is an uncomfortable space, I think, for a lot of people mm-hmm. to think about. And there's a lot of humanity that's exemplified there, right? So again, injustice. Just, it's a kind of a downer. Like at the end, you're like, yeah, but... It's right, just, but still, yeah, it's a drama, and I, I think that you have to be in the right mood to come in and and watch that. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I know the Green Mile, which they also talk about, is another one that is set in prison and is not exactly a lift you up kind of oh, no movie, but I love it so much, and it makes me cry every time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just such a beautiful movie, and I forget how long it is every time I start it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like over three hours long. Absolutely. I have a hard time with, there's a couple really graphic scenes in it that are hard for me to get through. There's a few different movies that I I have just, (laughs) like, Saving Private Ryan, there's a scene in there that I'm just like, oh my God, I don't know if I can make it through this. Um, cause mm-hmm. I'm a pretty empathetic person, but yeah, it's, it's rough, but again, you care about everybody. I mean, there's a purpose for it. So. Yeah, it is. It's well done. I think, unfortunately, what I think about now, when I think about that movie is one, the fact that Michael Clark Duncan has passed and that breaks my heart because he seemed like he was just a genuinely such a nice person. Um, and also he had well over a hundred like acting credits to his name, but most of it was like voice work. And I didn't realize he had done so much work in the industry because it didn't seem like he had been in industry for that long, but well done. And the other thing was the guy that played Percy was like 50 something years old and married a 17 year old that he started dating when she was 16. And I was always so creeped out by that. Oh, gross. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was such, it was this big thing. And I'm like, Oh, ugh. And her mom, like, approved of it and everything. And I'm like, nothing about this <laughs> makes me feel good. So that's always what I associate every time I see him. Because even though he probably is nothing like that character, mm-hmm. he's smarmy enough <laughs> in real life that I'm like, ooh, it just makes me feel dirty. Yeah, that's so. not a great association. I actually liked some of the commentary that they talked about in the documentary, Frank Darabont, of course, is back and directs this one again, set in prison, like we may have said. And he's talking about how Bruce Willis is the one who recommended Michael Clark because they were working together on Armageddon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which I'm like, I love Armageddon. I'm sorry. It's It's horrible, but I love it too. (laughs) It's so good Mm -hmm. and terrible. (laughs) So I'm like, that seems kind of crazy, right? And then they were very complimentary of... 
Tom Hanks in the discussion in the documentary because they were like, a lot of times big stars aren't really willing to share the spotlight very well. They're not, they're kind of used to everybody adapting to them. And Tom Hanks really focused on, you know, the other people around him and like was willing to, you know, set all of his cues and stuff like that off of them. And I thought how very interesting because if he's been on Androchrome forever, how is that working out? If he's been on what? <laughs> oh, that <laughs> stupid QAnon conspiracy bullshit where they're like, you know, whatever they make off um, stealing kids and scaring them and then harvesting their adrenal glands and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> fucking monstrous. And he's a pedophile and all this stuff. Oh, my God. <gasps> yeah. There's like a whole big to do. Listen, you can talk bad about a lot of people, but you can't talk bad about Tom Hanks. I mean, no, I will not stand for it. You stop right now. That man is a gem. I think so, too. So anyway, it was just really funny how I was like, well, how can these two things be both true? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think I'll, I'll refer to most people who've ever met him in real life are extremely complimentary. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about Tom Hanks, probably because I don't go to QAnon. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just thought you'd get a little tickle out of that. However, who knew that you remained unawares? I know. Mm -hmm. I know. I'm blissfully unaware of the QAnon <laughs> um, shenanigans, as it were. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's talk about my least favorite scene ever. Okay. Okay. There are two. There are two. And both of them are Stephen King movies. One is Pet Cemetery. Oh, okay. When l Little Baby Gage... Cuts the Achilles heel. Oh, eh. right. I can't. Just right. I can't watch it. Just so visceral. <laughs> and the other one is from Misery when she hobbles him. And I'm like, even watching this documentary, they showed it. And I'm like, I can't look. I can't look. It's the worst. Even hearing it makes my stomach turn. Yes. Kathy Bates and her delivery in misery is the stuff of legend as far as I'm it's so I don't know it's it's not in your face it's so subtle it's so subtle and I love that because it's it's just so elegant I guess is the best way like she's fucking terrifying and she's got a smile on her face the whole time like I'm like that's just my brain does not want to she seems like someone you would meet in a grocery store and have a <laughs> lovely conversation with and then she went home and she hobbled him so <laughs> So now you have to look at every nice middle-aged Midwestern woman, although this was in Colorado, but still. Yeah. With that skepticism. Like, is she hiding someone in her basement right now? Right. I don't know. Yeah. I know I, too, have mm -hmm. been very excited about a potential next book. But I'm also, I'm also busy with my own life. Like, I have no time to... <laughs> get a plan like this in action. Although I suppose he just like showed up. It wasn't necessarily a plan. Mm -hmm. No, it fell into her lap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will say the extent of my waiting for the next book is putting it in my calendar and my phone. Like it's a life event, like when the book comes out. So I know it's coming out. <laughs> That's the extent of it. Really. I have also been um, waiting for a book purchased the book like the last in a series and been so afraid to start the book because I knew there would be an end so I just like mm -hmm. delayed and then you know finally I gave in and read it and it was wonderful but still I was just like oh my god so we feel a little bit lost yes when it's done you're so invested you feel lost when it's done mm -hmm. One of the things they do talk about in this, so, you know, you have Kathy Bates in Misery, you have her also in Dolores Claiborne, which is a very, very different character and an amazing movie as mm -hmm. well. They talk about the fact that he writes women really well. And I think it's funny because if, you know, there's currently a whole lot online about men writing women and how <laughs> badly it's done. <laughs> right. You know, bouncing boobily oh, around or whatever. So lovely. Yeah. He doesn't seem to do that. And maybe because he's not really writing erotica. Maybe he is under a pseudonym. I don't know. Hope so. I'm sure it's lovely if he is. 
uh, Anne Rice did some really dirty shit. Oh, really? Oh, my God. All right, we'll yes. have to talk about that later. <laughs> it's research purposes. So good and bad God. at the same time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so there was this this kid, he's in college, he's in a film class, and the professor is a female, and she's talking about how people can't, men can't write good female characters, there aren't enough good female characters out here, but in this Dolores Claiborne, you have Taylor Hackford, who is a woman directing other women, it was a great movie for women, and this kid is like, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Taylor Hackford is a man? Because he actually knew him, like his dad was a director who happened to be friends with Taylor. And she's like, no, he's not. It's it's a woman. It's a woman. Like she was adamant. <laughs> and I love how Taylor in this documentary is like, well, I feel really good about that. Like, you know, he did it right. Yeah. Stephen King wrote good characters. He portrayed them well. Everything was done right. So well done, guys. Yeah. And again, a lot of these you see uh, bits and pieces of domestic violence, which is not, it's difficult subject matter to write at all, I guess, whether it's a good portrayal or a bad portrayal, I'm not really sure, but I think he had some real life experience. I think he had some strong female, females in his life, female characters. It's not the right way to say that, but influences, right? His mom was awesome. Evidently his wife is awesome too. I had never really considered her, which I feel bad for. But um, yeah, kind of interesting. I love that she's there supporting. She, I'm sure she has her own job and her own life. I'm sure 100%. she's not just his wife. But she's the one, apparently, when he was writing early on and threw the manuscript for Carrie in the trash, she's the one who took it out. I was like, no, it's good. You need to submit it. So well done. She's the one helping him, probably seeing the first draft of things, helping him hone it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. you need that strong woman behind you to make things happen. Right on, right on. Let's talk about The Shining. Which one? <laughs> Let's talk about the one most people know about. So Stanley Kubrick did The Shining. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say right now I am not a Stanley Kubrick fan. Every time people talk about his work, he just sounds like he's pretentious as fuck. Like he thinks he's a lot more deep and just intellectual than he probably really was. Mm -hmm. But maybe I'm wrong. Never met the man. Mm -hmm. Full Metal Jacket. I absolutely fucking love that movie. But outside of that, The Shining, it's all right. 2001, it's all right. Mm -hmm. And the rest, no thank you. <laughs> right? Yeah, I thought it was very interesting to hear. I mean, I think it's pretty uh, of urban legend or pop culture reference or whatever that Stephen King did not like this movie, mm -hmm. but I have not read the book. So I did not understand that the way the characters are written, a lot of that did not come through in the movie. So these are two very different creative forces. Mm-hmm that did not gel well. Now, did the Shining movie work? It did. Um, evidently, the book is also beloved, but those two did not overlap very well at all. I think the Shining is another one that has uh, a huge magnitude. It's been extremely influential. Everybody knows here's Johnny when he's hacking through the door, right? But yeah, to hear about them making this, and I feel so bad for Shelley Duvall, like, Oh my, oh my God. Gosh, I know. So the stories I've heard is she was essentially terrorized on that set. The poor woman. And I loved hearing about people who went to see the movie, like when it first came out in a theater full of people who had read the book and were so excited to see mm -hmm. this Stanley Kubrick movie. And they essentially booed it <laughs> because it was so far removed from the book. Mm -hmm. And had you called it anything else and just put it out as a different movie, it probably would have been fine. Mm -hmm. But they went to see The Shining, and that's not what this was. Mm -hmm. One thing, when Stephen King wanted to redo it, he did remake it as like a mini series. And who did it? Mick Garris is the one who redid right. that, right? Mm -hmm. And 
they do a much better job of portraying the character arc, which you don't really see in the Kubrick one. Jack Nicholson is crazy from the beginning to the end. It's not a surprise that he became that way. It, no one was shocked by that behavior at all. But in the remake, you see this happy family, you see them sweet, you see the kind of premonitions that Danny has. It's a much more interesting character development than the Kubrick version, which was a visually stunning masterpiece, but the story wasn't as good as the, I'm guessing the book, I have not read it, mm -hmm. but the remake was really well done. Have you seen the miniseries one? I have. Okay. Like a long time ago, but yeah, I have. So I might have a vacation coming up and I might have some things from this that I'm going to have to catch up on because I was like, I had no idea that they made a second mm -hmm. one. Um, and the actors in it are of note, right? Rebecca Jamornay, right? Steven Weber. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't know who the kid was. Um, I do have his name, Will Horneff, but that doesn't mean anything mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, so I'm no. like, I might have to uh, see if I can find that somewhere. Yes, and then I think watch that and then watch Dr. Sleep because that's the sequel to The Shining. Yes. The book was the sequel to the book. The movie, I like the way they did the movie. They talked about it being like Mike Flanagan directed Dr. Sleep and he talked about sticking to the story for the first two thirds, but making sure you keep the visual aspects from like the Kubrick film, because that's what most people know mm -hmm. is the Kubrick version. Yeah. So I think that was really, really well done. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, it is the time of year where you want to take in maybe some more spooky stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I know I certainly am in the mood, but I love the fact that, they kind of kept that same orbit, right? They were able to incorporate it to try to catch everybody to like, try to honor like sort of the whole um, story there. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really cool. And mm -hmm. I love Ewan McGregor. So I will have to check that out. I know. Mm -hmm. yes. It's very pretty. I, I think it's interesting because I know that Mike talked about having kind of a hard time talking Stephen <laughs> King into allowing him to use the Kubrick canon. Mm -hmm. But Stephen King was like, I'm at least willing to talk about it. Let's mm -hmm. talk about it. And once they talked about it, he was like, okay, I can get on board with it. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just like, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which probably was his first instinct. I do appreciate the fact that they talk in this documentary about what happens on the page does not always translate to the screen. And they do have to tweak some stuff because the story has to be told in a different way, right? And it seems that he has been, this is King I'm talking about, he's been amenable to like staying, you know, honoring the story, but changing the details. And I think that probably is really hard to be like, you're just pulling apart my baby and, you know, but to have the trust with different directors. And I think you see he's worked with Mike Garris several times. Um, Frank's made an appearance several times and it's just the people that he's chosen to work with seem to share his vision mm -hmm. for things. And I thought that was really cool. So agreed. Agreed. One of the directors, I can't remember which one said you want to keep the essence of the story. You want to keep how people feel when they've read the story, that emotion, not necessarily the tie to the plot, but you want them tied to that same emotion. I'm like, well, that's a really good way to look at it. I know for many years it was hard for me, especially when I was younger, if I had a book that I loved and then it came out in a movie and I was so excited and then I'd see it and I'd be so disappointed <laughs> because it's not what I saw in my head, right? Mm -hmm. But I've come to terms with the fact that this is just a different piece of art. This is not the same piece of art. This is something very different and it's you've got to just look at it as something different. Mm -hmm. and, and the novelty is, is it's new, right? So I can appreciate the story again with different twists or different whatever. And, but that's hard when you're younger. Sure. And like you said, I'm sure it's even harder if that was the book that you wrote, you know? Yeah. Poured a lot of yourself into mm -hmm. the vision, right? I think maybe the best example of this is the mist. <laughs> oh my God. Can I tell you that yesterday I was driving to see my mom and as I pull up, 
onto a hill where I'm getting ready to exit off the freeway, right as I get to the top of the hill, I can see a couple of miles ahead, a wall of like fog. I've never seen it like that before. And all I could think of as well, there it comes. Here comes the mist. <laughs> here comes the monsters. Right. We're all going to die. Where's my, where's my supermarket? <laughs> yeah. I was driving on Thursday morning and my commute takes me uh, through the country. And there were several times where there were very ominous. I mean, it was just like tree lines or whatever, but they were in such a way. And I had been watching the documentary and I was like, oh my God, they're the monsters. So I too was <laughs> affected, uh, kind of refreshed on the how terrifying it is, the threats that you only get glimpses of, right? You know, something bad is mm -hmm. happening. Um, and I love that tool to kind of capture your fear, right? I think some other classics are like, they did that in Jaws a little bit. Like you didn't see a lot of the shark. It was just sort of implied scariness. Yeah. But bringing up the mist really because uh, Frank Darabont changed the ending and mm -hmm. oh, the ending just is so difficult. <laughs> Well, the ending in the story, yeah, it's been a very long time since I've read the story. I'm pretty sure they just drive off into the mess. That's it. Mm -hmm. You don't know what happens. Yeah. Right? And I like how Frank's like, well, you can't end a movie like that. That's <laughs> not, I'm not Hitchcock for crying right. out loud. So he decides to make an ending and I'm not going to spoil the ending here if you've not seen it, but it is horrible and so well done all at the same time. Yeah, it is shocking in my opinion and yes king said oh i really like that ending i wish i'd done that ending and i was like whoa you know that's pretty i know and thomas jane is so pretty in the he's always been pretty but like can we talk about the fact that him and aaron eckert are the same person they're interchangeable um there are a few hollywood people that i need to see side by side because i'm like no i don't I don't understand how these are different folks. Yeah. Even side by side, sometimes I'm like, it's the same person, just twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, because it's scary season, one of my absolute favorite Stephen King movies is Children of the Corn. You guys, I love that movie and I watch it every single year, every year. I think it involves... A couple of your different loves you have a love of cults i do and horror and i think nothing is fucking scarier than a cult full of children mm -hmm. and we live in indiana where there's a lot of fucking <laughs> corn so you know this time of year when it's just real tall and it's i think the movie takes place more in this late summer so it's still green it's not harvested yet but still I was just driving by cornfields yesterday and I'm like, oh, look at that. Super tall, not harvested yet. <laughs> Creepy. Creepy. Yeah. I think driving through here uh, in rural Indiana, if you're driving at night and there's corn on both sides of you, it is so eerie to be there. Sometimes they've got like the mist or like a light fog. I mean, that's a thing around here and it just hangs out at the top of the stalks and you're like, well, I don't know what's going to jump out at me, but it's got to be something. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I use the reference he wants you to Malachi at least 10 times a year. <laughs> it's just fitting every now and then. Just got to throw it in there. Just the yelling of Malachi, I think, is enough. <laughs> so good. Yes. So good. I can't think of that actor's name. Courtney something. Yes. Actually... I was talking to somebody about this the other day and we had to pull him up because there, you know, we were trying to like figure that out, but he's been a lot of stuff. He was in can't, can't buy me love. He was really good in that. He's good in everything. Yeah. Yeah, he is. So, but amazing casting and the kid that does the, who's like the main character, Isaac, oh, mm -hmm. that one's a great choice too. <laughs> and so they remade it a couple times, but I think they're remaking it again. Again, I'm not sure if it's going to be a show or, but they have a, a little girl as the lead. And that's even creepier in my opinion, because you think of little girls as being sweet. Mm -hmm. And when they're evil, 
it just really fucks with your head. And I'm like, that was genius. Do you know what? I think it'd be fun if we like had a party and it was like a children of the corn party and maybe you dress as your favorite character and you watch all the iterations (laughs) of children of the corn. Right? That would be so fun. I'm totally going as Linda Hamilton though. Absolutely. I think I'll be Malachi just because he's kind of my favorite and creepiest. Uh, We'll have to tell Michael that next year that's what the theme of his Halloween party should be. Yes. Okay. Love. All right. Mm -hmm. Let's roll on into the stand. Let's ease on down that road. Right. So the original stand, I tried to read. (laughs) I never made it past, (laughs) never made it past the halfway mark. And I got to be honest, when it came out, it was four VHS cassettes. That's how long the movie is. It's because it's like a miniseries as well. Right. And for the longest time, I couldn't make it past the first two cassettes either. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm never going to finish this. Who does he think he is, Ken Burns? I mean, come on. Is he paid by the word? <laughs> Probably. That's all right. I did finally, I, I want to say it was early odds before I ever finished the original. Mm-hmm. But I do really like it. I mean, Molly Ringwald. I love her. Yeah. So I think what we say, the initial is Mick Garris, right? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the original was Mick Garris. And the remake was Vincenzo Natali. Oh, my. Yeah. That's a name. I haven't seen. Let's see. That's not true. I feel like this comes in the category for me where I've seen some of it like maybe it was just on tv or something like that and I've like dropped in and Uh seen part of it the old one at least I have not seen the new one but the Eric Northman is in it and he is real pretty anytime you throw a scars guard in I'm I'm here for it thank you yes I do like the discussion that they talked about well on the last day of filming we almost got shut down for the pandemic And mind you, the stand is about a pandemic, so how fitting. And Mm -hmm. then old Randall Flagg is real reminiscent of a current political figure at the Mm -hmm. time. So. Yes. The fact that Randall Flagg appeals to the worst of the population is very similar to our former president. I think Randall Flagg had a lot more power and looked better in both movies Uh, than our former president has ever looked. He wishes he was Randall Flagg. Mm. Yes, absolutely. But then they also made a correlation between our former president and Craig Stilson in The Dead Zone. Have you seen that movie? I sure have. Oh, the best of the walk-in. I love it so much. Best. I love that movie so much. I just watched it the other day. Yeah. And that to me is much more representative of who Trump behaves like. The, you know what, I've been called to do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. And blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It, it's just me, 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 I, 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 which Randall Flagg was as well. But Randall Flagg was like a supernatural kind of, that's, different whereas this character was human and just the worst yeah it really speaks i think to uh, a bit of reactionary um situation this is Mm -hmm. somebody i don't think that's accepting the gravitas of their office and the downstream consequences and i have always Mm -hmm. felt like you know the people who want to win at all costs cannot be in charge of stuff. Like we need patient thinkers (laughs) instead of just like people flying by the seat of their pants. I mean, it's just, it's really scary. Yeah. That rash behavior is not indicative of a good leader. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there are so many good people in dead zone, right? So Martin, what's his name? Oh, um, Sheen, Martin Sheen, Sheen. the Sheen, the older one. (laughs) Yeah. He's so good in it too. Yes. It's, it's one of those characters that 
had I not seen him in anything else and only seen him do this character, I would not approach him. Well, I probably would approach him anyway because I'm not that type of person. But if I saw him in public, I would think, oh, he's he's not a good person, right? He played it so well that I would not be comfortable talking to him. Consummate politician. <laughs> yes. Extremely yes. believable. And I thought they did a great job in casting. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I do love that one, though. Did you ever see the show? Um, is that the one with Anthony Michael Hall? Mm-hmm. I have seen a few episodes. But again, this is one of those that I like kind of drop in on and I'm not committed. Um, right. But I do love him. And I do remember liking the show. Yeah, I haven't seen all of it either, but mm-hmm. I did enjoy it when I watched it. Um, I think they did a good job. That wasn't a sense. I think <laughs> they did a good job. <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about this because I have found, I don't know it's a, a result of the writer strike. I doubt it because I'm not a big TV connoisseur, but I like talking about this because I've been looking for some stuff to watch. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Stuff besides The Office or Letterkenny or whatever. Like I like to revisit. Like A couple years ago, I watched Highlander again, and it was the highlight of that month. <laughs> I was like, I can't wait. So um, this might be a good one to go back and catch. Yes, it'd be a good one to rewatch. I like that we're talking about this because, one, there were so many that I forgot that Stephen King did, that he wrote, that he was part of. And two, there are some that I realize I want to go back and rewatch or I want to watch for the first time, like Shawshank, because you just forget. Like, The Running Man is one of my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And I haven't seen it in a while, so I'm going to have to go back and watch it. Yeah, absolutely. You had talked about that. Steven works with some directors over and over and over again, which I think is great because you have trust in these people. You know, they're going to take your material and treat it well. Mm -hmm. One of those, which I don't know why I did not know this was George Romero. I know. I was so excited. I love that they talk about Night of the Living Dead, which is of course the thing that put, George Romero on the map, right? And they were talking about that it was controversial, right? There were strong African-American characters. There were women that were, you know, of relevancy. I don't know. Like, right. <laughs> you know, white men zombies were murdered on the spot. I mean, so it was at a time when a lot of those topics were not discussed and they kind of wrote it in here and it was sort of sly, but it really worked. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, the two of those dudes gelled. And I was like, uh, adorable. I know, because they both have the worst glasses ever. And I love that <laughs> they just rock them. Yeah. They rock those glasses. Right. But they decided to do stuff together. And one of the things they did together was Creep Show, which is amazing. And I haven't seen it in probably 15, 20 years. 100%. Again, this is a little bit of a... It's it's not your typical movie, right? This is in the same mm-hmm. vein as uh, when they did The Twilight Zone. Or, mm-hmm. oh God, there were a couple other ones we've talked about. But this is in segments. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an anthology or something, right? Yes. It's um, You've got some of these stories that are silly. You've got some that are true horror. Mm-hmm. They talk about the one with the roaches, which I had forgotten about, probably purged it from my memory. I can't get past it. I I have Mm-mm. been horrified ever since uh, that got brought back into my memory banks. I don't know. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely fucking not. They brought in real roaches for these. And there is a scene where it's literally like the room is full of roaches up to like your knees. It's just so many and they just dumped them all in and they're like well how are we going to keep them in because there's no roof on the set and they're like oh well we'll just put vaseline around the top and then when they get to the top they'll just fall back down you guys they did not fall back down they just got out they just left and now they have a new invasive species wherever they were filming and these are like oh my god big horrible roaches not like tiny roaches or great roaches but like the bigger they are, I think the creepier they are. And they're talking about like, mm-hmm. yeah, we went home and there were like roaches in our socks and roaches up our sleeves. And <laughs> I, you would have to sedate me if I found a mm-hmm. roach in my sock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cannot. 
No. No. And the smell. No. Oh my God. Stop it. <laughs> Do you think he was, Stephen King was a little more particular about what he wrote after that, knowing that if someone had to make the movie, he didn't want them to have to go through this much trauma? And did they just send their therapy bills straight to Stephen King and George Romero? I hope that they consulted an entomologist after this. They're like, hey, not, you can't like train roaches or whatever. <laughs> Like your roach supply people, maybe, maybe get somebody else around there. I don't know. Um, mm. I agree. Mm -hmm. I, let's say I had been um, asked to come and act on that. I would have to say no. I'd be like, look, chance of a lifetime, right? But I can't get sealed up well enough to do that. <laughs> no, just give me a job at McDonald's and I'll go on with life. Yes. I don't need to do this anymore. No. Horrifying. Mm. Mm -mm. A couple of the other ones we talk about are Cujo, which is a fucking classic. And the fact that that's become so popular to refer to large or aggressive dogs as Cujo. Mm -hmm. I guess even tiny aggressive dogs as, <laughs> as Cujo. I actually had a cat named Cujo once. So it's just indicative <laughs> of any angry animal. <laughs> That's very clever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Christine. Mm -hmm. I have seen cars that I thought should be named Christine. So that's also fairly ubiquitous in pop culture. Mm -hmm. Can I go back to Cujo for just a second? Mm -hmm. Last year, year before Riley read Cujo, I think it's part of a school thing. I could be wrong on that, but we were talking about this documentary and I happened to mention it. He's like, there's a movie? And I'm like, oh, you sweet little thing. <laughs> oh, so now you're going to have to watch right? the movie. That's what I thought, too. So, um, yeah, that's what it's like. Oh, they, we think all these things translate, but they don't. So why would he have any reference to it? It's not like it's in the book. Like, please see the movie coming out in six months or something, you know. <laughs> right. And it was put out in, like, the early 80s. He would have no right. idea. Reference to that. But I love that King is still um, in with the youth, right? So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and part of Cujo is this woman and her son are trapped in a car because of a rabid dog, right? They're trapped in this very small space. And they talk throughout this that something that he uses a lot is he puts normal people in very stressful situations, a lot of times confined situations. So in the mist, you have a lot of people who are stuck in a grocery store. Mm -hmm. In, you know, Shawshank, it's a prison. Mm -hmm. In... um Rose Red. They're stuck in a house. Oh, yes. Rose Red. That's such a good one. Mm -hmm. I forgot about that one. Yeah, they're stuck in a house that's it's not a good house, guys. <laughs> um, so he often puts them in these very claustrophobic situations. So I have now determined that that's where my claustrophobia comes from. And I can also send my therapy bills to Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, because maybe you weren't thinking I should fear this before. Like, this is a situation that I can leave, but he's painting it as like, no, bitch, you're here forever. <laughs> forever. Right. Oh, my God. Um, yes. You had also mentioned Christine, and I remember watching that one with my folks because my dad is a classic. He was a classic car guy. So I think that okay. is part of the draw. So, I mean, this is not just coming from horror fans or whatever. Um, the scenes in Christine where the car fixes itself. How did they do that? Mm -hmm. That's fucking amazing. I was thinking the same thing. Like, even if you reverse, you know, like, they must have had several cars. And they must have at some point, like, beaten it up and kind of filmed it as they beat it up and then, like, reversed the shots mm -hmm. is the only thing I could think of. But, yeah, the special effects were amazing. Right. I think I might look that up because, you know, you're not seeing anyone in the scenes. Like, the damage had to be caused by something and it had to be reversed by something other than just the forces of whatever, but that's how it's portrayed. And like, I, it's just fascinating. So I always appreciate that. And what an, a mundane thing. I mean, everybody has a car and now we're all like, it's getting a little warm in here. Can I still crank the window down? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. 
Yes, as my windows have broken, the little knobby, not the knobby, the little push button things mm-hmm. have like popped off and I can't use them as well. Now I think it's probably just my car trying to suffocate <laughs> me. Absolutely. Right that Lola. I have no idea what that sound was. Sorry, Riley. Um, we already talked about Pet Cemetery. We talked about Thinner, which was... I think probably a better book than movie, but I never read the book, but I heard a lot of people say that. Okay. Most people say that about most things, I guess, but um, I really liked that movie. I like the, it's so interesting, right? That the curse basically starts off and you're like, oh, sweet ass, you know? And then you're like, like, not good, (laughs) not good. So that's hitting on that theme of be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Which is a classic yeah. King move. Yes. And then the twist at the end and you're like, oh no. Right. <laughs> it's He gets you in the end. Like you think it's over and you think problem solved, crisis averted, all's well in Whoville. Mm-hmm. And then nope. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. Yeah. You get your comeuppance. Yeah, every time. There are, um, we don't really talk about a whole lot of others. We talk about Silver Bullet a little bit, which was also really good it's a werewolf movie it's got little baby um cory Haim in it and the Busey is in it too gary Busey, like crazy Busey, yeah yeah mm-hmm. pre-craziness if you will <laughs> indeed still intense but in a better way <laughs> <laughs> right i think some of the ones that I've liked the best have been ones that have come out recently that they didn't talk about so much. Okay. So some of the more recent ones that have come out are The Outsider okay. on HBO mm-hmm. a couple years back. That was so good. So good. Um, Mr. Mercedes. Okay. Which, again, I didn't read the books, but I loved, loved the show. Okay. Um, what else just came out? Gerald's Game came out recently. Mm-hmm. This is not necessarily a recent, but I would like to mention Dreamcatcher. Um, there was a so good, yeah, yes. the movie. I mean, fuck, it's probably been seven years since years. that. Yeah. Well, the one with like Jason Lee and those guys, right? Okay, yep, yep, yeah. Um, because I read that book, I did get through it, and I was like, oh, I love that one. And I'd like to say that I really like the way he portrays Duddits and some of the folks with you know some developmental disability and stuff like that like they're humans and they're worth love and all that kind of stuff and it's so lovely yes he does such a good job of writing characters that you care about even if they have disabilities which they kind of mention that that most people wouldn't even bother writing those characters unless they were the main point of the story think of what's eating gilbert grape or something Otherwise, they generally aren't going to bother with that kind of character. So the fact that he has written these characters in as just part of everyday life, too, I love. Because they are part of everyday life. So that's kind of kind of it. I mean, we just go through uh, the different movies. They have different directors talking about them. And I love that they have the perspective from making the movies, from working with him. And how well he seems to work with others on his stuff right mm-hmm. like you said he is okay with other people taking it and owning it right he's still part of it but it's kind of theirs now and he seems okay with that well, he makes a lot of money from that too so well done sir they also discuss a little bit in this about he feels like he's discovering the story like it's already there and he is uncovering it and i'm pretty sure when we went to see V.E. schwab she said something similar, right? Like the idea will come to you, but it only come for so long. And if you don't go for it, it'll leave you and go to somebody else. And I was like, what an interesting perspective that is that they Mm -hmm. kind of share something similar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will never understand how people who are that creative, how they think, how they exist, I guess, because my mind does not work like that. And so there are some people like Diana Gabaldon who does the Outlander series. It takes her like five, 10 years to write a book. But Stephen King has written like 
well, what, upwards of 60 plus novels. And that's not including his short stories or his screenplays or his, you know, just stuff he gives to people. It's, he writes so much. And like you said, it's not the same story over and over and over again. They're all so very different from one another. I think we don't do a very good job in this culture, at least, of saying that creativity is worthwhile. Like, if you're not producing money or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's probably a lot of creativeness in children or whatever that's quashed because, you know, people don't embrace that. So I think what happened to Stephen King probably is a great example of what happens when we support people that got some weird fucking ideas. Like, why not write that down, right? Why not celebrate that and be like, what else you got? Give me some more. I think we kind of foo-foo that off. And I think that's so sad because if he had left Carrie in the trash, maybe we would not have known his genius because he wasn't encouraged to be that. Right. Well, and thankfully he came along to write something like Carrie, which isn't necessarily a traditional horror. It's, again, it's a lot of character development, but he brought it out at the time when horror was having a resurgence. So you have the Halloween, you have um, not a living dead. You have these stories that are coming out that are horror and people are enjoying it. And so it was a really good time for him and his particular weirdness to come out. Right. So had it been at a different time, it might not have worked as well either. It just might've been perfect timing and content and everything all wrapped into to one. Sure. And it probably didn't hurt that he's a man. So (laughs) that's always helpful. That's always helpful. (sighs) Do you have an honorary Aaron for this week? My honorary Aaron is going to be Tabitha because um, she's behind the scenes, but she getting shit done. You know, she's getting shit done. Absolutely. Yep. Love that. Mm -hmm. I chose Kathy Bates because yes, she's just Mm -hmm. the titties. I don't know what else to say. She's just the greatest. She is the titties. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. God, I love her and everything. So much. Like fried green tomatoes. Oh my God. She's so good. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you have a favorite Stephen King story, movie, show, book, whatever? I did write some stuff down. So let me take a look. <laughs> we didn't talk about the Langoliers. Which is a bummer. We didn't. They didn't really bring it up in the in the documentary, but that was my older son's favorite when he was a kid, and we watched it like a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the tearing paper, you know. In oh, it's just such a great vehicle for like stress or you know foreboding or whatever. I was just like, it's so mundane again, and you're like, why is this ominous? So you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with that. I love the Link Leaders. Agreed. That is such a good movie. It's hard to pick one because he writes so many different genres. But I'm going to say, I think my favorite might have to be The Green Mile. Mm-hmm. Just because it makes me cry. And it hits, hits my heart every time. Right. A lot of feels in that one. Yeah. A lot of feels. Yeah. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. I like that documentary a lot. Yeah. It was. It was quick. It was, I was just like, how am I halfway through this? Um, A lot of memories Mm -hmm. tied to like different movies and like, where were you when this came out and how did it affect you? And that was really fun to kind of go through with the people that were talking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We have one more week of spooky month left. What's, what's our final documentary for October? We're going to do one called Hell House. This is a 2001 Mm -hmm. release so be careful because there were several different options that I found floating around this is an Mm -hmm. hour and 25 minutes and I'm going to look for it first on Prime I think you can rent it but it may be available in like Tubi or something like that so Mm -hmm. yeah this is about I don't know if you guys have heard and this this is just one example but um, churches like to set up haunted houses and market it as a haunted house and then when you go in it's like oh jenny gave herself away too soon and now she has to have an abortion and go to hell <laughs> and it's you know premarital sex you're going to hell any drugs you're going to hell and and that's 
really what they focus on. And it cracks me up that they market it as a haunted house. So I'm interested to see this documentary and how it, how it goes. Right. Now, there are some instances where there have been some adaptations to traditional Halloween stuff that I don't hate. Mm-hmm. The one where you go trick-or-treating in the parking lot full of cars. Yeah, trunk or treat. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Uh, efficient. You don't have to, like, let your kids out among the streets. Not that, you know, I think when your kids get a certain age, like, my kids, well, my youngest kids still fucking trick-or-treats. And I think it's hilarious that he's I out in that. our neighborhood. Um and we're still discussing like what he's going to be and whatever. So very funny <laughs> to me. But yeah, mm-hmm. so if you're a parent and you don't really know where to take your kid and you don't want to like cruise all around while they're running house to house or whatever, I think that's a great option. So I don't hate everything that people have changed to make Halloween a little safer, maybe a little different. But this is yeah. just a bastardization of like it's harmless just fun. so funny. Yeah, I think it's interesting because some people genuinely, genuinely, I can say that word. Some people genuinely believe that that's the scariest thing ever is the the threat of hell. Mm-hmm. And so I do feel bad for them. And this would be a terrifying experience, I'm sure. But I don't know. I did want to tell you I had a moment where I thought of you this week because on Facebook I saw um, somebody had requested, tell tell me what your favorite scary movie is. And I, they didn't ask for the scariest scary movie, in my opinion. So I chimed in with Night of the Lepus, which is a fucking ridiculous movie from 1972 about killer mutant giant rabbits. And I love it. And I thought of you because I was like, I bet I know what you'd put down if you were asking the same Possibly rubber. <laughs> it could be the killer tire because, you know, there's nothing more terrifying than a tire that would chase you and then make your head explode. Right, right. So um, I hope that you get an, an option to put that knowledge out <laughs> into the world to the people who don't know about good and terrible movies, especially in the horror yes. genre. <laughs> so that was God. not of Stephen King's yeah. making, I'm pretty sure. No, neither one. <laughs> Rubber was more like a John Waters-esque kind of. Yeah. It's just so funny. I think I think bad works really well with horror. I think the two go really well together. It doesn't work with all genres, but with horror, it really does. I mean, I like me some camp. Don't get me wrong. All right? Yes. It's, it's just the best. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So I hope you guys are watching a lot of horror this month. And always, honestly, it's always good. And come find us on social media. Come find us at our website. Go dock yourself. And we will talk to you next week. Sounds great. Laters. Bye.